at age 23, the skill of managing and leading people was the skill that I learnt. Welcome to Long-Term Thinking for Business Success, a show for and by business owners. Each episode will explore how to beat the odds and create a sustainable business and the life we've dreamt of. Today's guest is Damien Skadala from Squarepenny, a business he founded 14 years ago. Hi Damien, welcome to the Long-Term Thinking for Business Success podcast and thanks for joining us today. Just to get things going and to start our conversation, can you tell us a little bit about Squarepenny? What's the change or the vision you're trying to achieve? Or deliver to your clients and who are the people that you really hope to serve? Well, thank you, Rick. It's nice to be with you today. So SquarePenny is an outsourced bookkeeping and CFO service business, providing small businesses the reliability in their financial administration. Been around since 2008. And what we've noticed is peace of mind, like peace of mind to be able to go to sleep and actually have a decent night's sleep instead of thinking about, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to pay this bill and I've got to raise this invoice and you know that's not working, I've got to do payroll tomorrow. It's those things that we've been able to eliminate in business owners' minds, which has allowed them to then create a separation, which has then allowed them to grow their businesses or focus on other areas of their business that, that may not be working well at, uh, at that point in time. Yeah, I understand. We have the same principle with the role of marketing in an organisation. If we can help them take that stress out of their life, it frees them up to do other things. And you'd be amazed at that, how much it actually does. Like you, you see business that is uh, in a little bit of a mess uh, in terms of process, financial process, and and you clean that up and you turn, turn it into more standard process, just the relief on on the on the business owner is amazing to see it, and, and the trans then it translates into longevity of 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 a client as well by doing the things that you say you're going to do for clients, which is I think which is one of the most important things that you need to that you need to do. Yeah, that the personal impact that we can have on business owners is is so profound and such an honour to work with them. Just to think back to to really the the origin journey or the start of Square Penny, what inspired you to start it? Was it was starting your own business something you'd always wanted to do or are you, like many of us, accidental business owners? It wasn't accidental. I didn't really like working for managers telling me what to do. I've never been great with authority, Rick. <laughs> and uh, and consequently, my value set was, was, very, was very high from if I delivered a piece of work, I wanted, to, I wanted my manager to use that piece of work. I wanted I wanted it to be used. I wanted to be I wanted to be critiqued. I wanted to know how to improve it. And as I was working in you know, for large for large corporates um, in the early days, it just the work just doesn't get just didn't get used. It didn't right. get used you know, for whatever purposes. And so I really wanted to make that make a difference and I wanted the work that that I did do get used. And I didn't like being told what to do and I took a leap of faith and and resigned from the from the role that I had. I never had an intention of of creating a business. I just wanted to do good quality work that I was in that I was in control in of and it helped people. And so I resigned, went and helped a couple of colleagues uh, of mine that just needed some just needed some work done. I think one was a data cleansing project and I was just cleansing data, thousands of lines of data and that sort of kicked off the start of what I wanted to do and I still didn't know what I wanted to do I just knew yeah. I, was, 
I was good with numbers and process. And then like like most things, you put the feelers out, people start to say, yeah, I need some help here and, and friends needed help and then friends of friends and then friends of friends. And then within the first six months, I'd put my first staff member on because I just needed help. I couldn't do it by myself anymore. You know, I was doing 60 hour weeks and they were just they were just too long, too long days. And it was just it was just too difficult to do. And they, you put your first person on and then you start to transition some of your workload and then you're going to get to more workload, more work to go and fill the fill the void and then transition more work. So we pretty quickly went to you know four staff. Now we're thirty odd staff and we're a little bit more sophisticated with it now these days. You you started that story with talking about the data cleaning project you did, which isn't really in line with the outsourced financial management model that you you now deliver at what point in that early generation did you move from doing almost anything for anybody to realize the the sweet spot is the financial management the processes to run that and then the the team to deliver that it was interesting even in that data cleansing project i recognized that in order to do more of it you needed other people to help you yep so i got the the first the first four weeks worth of work and realize you, you can only data cleanse for 10 hours a day. You, then your mind gets fried. It's just, hours it's just impressive. Well, you know, back then uh, there was a lot more, there was a lot more, a lot more energy as an early 30 year old than, than today. What I recognized and I, I was able to pick up a second, a second project on the back of that. And I recognized that I could get that other project done and I could do something else by targeting certain resources to help. Yeah. And, and those the resources back then were mums returning to the workforce from maternity leave. She was doing that job while I was chasing the next piece of project work that was available. And pretty quickly early on, I recognized that if I wanted to do more, more work, I needed more people to help me. And there's also a link back here, Rick, that when I started working, my, my first job, but my second job was actually managing people, not being a technical expert. Yeah say in accounting and at age 23 the skill of managing and leading people was the skill that i learned it wasn't i still learned the technical side of accounting but i wasn't a technical specialist i was more of a manager of people so for me people were always going to be the the thing that i work with the most because that's what i learned that's where my skills were so i never really thought ever in my head that i've got to do all this work always myself i think because of that how I developed my skill and the manager that I had really catapulted into recognizing that if you want to get more done, you need more support and you need more support with better quality people than you, recognizing that you don't have the skill to do everything. And I think that's what really transitioned pretty quickly into that first official employee to grow that concept of of scalability with not really thinking about how to scale. Just in context, again, thinking back, as you said, it's 14 years that you've had the business. What are you most proud of and why? There's probably lots of things to, to be proud of. Probably the opportunity of providing to a particular demographic of our society that a lot of businesses neglected. Mum's returning back to work. Yeah. The world's come a long way, but I still, I still feel that the world hasn't quite still adjusted to, that, to the concept of... Yeah. You know, Flexible work model, you know, working from home, um, the world hasn't quite adjusted to yeah. it because I think in order for it to work, you've got to believe in it. Correct. And if you don't believe in it, you can't, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. So it's got to be authentic and genuine to you. And yeah. I think listening back to your comments in terms of 
the people you're hoping to help and the value you're wanting to create. It's another target market that you identified that you could bring value to and you've driven your whole business around that. So that's fantastic. Just again, just thinking back over that 14 years, I'm sure it, it hasn't been smooth sailing. And in fact, previously you've shared some of the challenges you've had with clients, et cetera. But again, just sort of broadly thinking, what's one change you've made in the business that has been in, impactful in helping you get to 14 years? So what some of the what a, what was a, a problem or challenge you had to face? And then how did you overcome that challenge to push through and get to where you are today? Back in 2018, we were about nine years in, they're heading to our 10th year. And one of our clients was a significant client for us. And uh, at that time, we had about uh, nine staff and I was heavily working on the tools with this one particular client. Uh, the client probably made up 60% of our revenue at the time. I just put on my first senior person in our business to really transition myself from this senior piece of work that, were, that I was doing. And in my head, I had the plan well, well thought out, identified the right person. It was working out swimmingly and the person was employed and the client came back to me and said to me, Damien, we're taking a different uh, different direction. We're not going to outsource our CFO service any longer. We want to maintain it. We want to keep it in-house. And so pretty much overnight, we went from a significant client to no significant client. I just employed our first senior person and uh, really thought to myself, what have I done here? I've made a commitment to someone and we've just lost our largest customer. 60% of our revenue. Yeah. And we also, mind you, at the same time, we had nine staff as well. Yeah. So you know, right. we've got nine livelihood. I take responsibility of employing someone extremely high and the livelihood that you impact. And uh, and I didn't want to let that go. One of the th- my thoughts were, I never want to be, I never want to place myself. I never want to place anyone that's employed by Square Penny in that situation ever again. As I say in the classic, Rick, I got on my bike and started pedaling fast. And we went from from nine staff to 20 staff. Within wow. six months and almost pushed too hard and almost fell off my bike. We grew too fast and we didn't have all the fundamentals in place. We didn't have all the processes that we've got in place today. And I needed more support. I needed not more support from a team. I needed more support from more of a, a global view and met a strategy coach. And at the time, I didn't quite value coaching that much. Uh, a bit like I never liked being told what to do. It really uh, extended into that. I met someone in the April, you know, pretty much a couple of days after the, I finished up with the client. A strategic journey, and part of that, you know, part of that journey was setting a five-year plan and what do you want to achieve in five years. And I know it's very cliche, and we all do it. Majority of us probably don't go anywhere, anywhere near delivering it. We set out on that path. Um, uh, both organisations needed to sort of break down the walls. I probably needed to be hit around the head a little bit, needed to listen a lot more and, and but that was shown to me by by the by actions and, and what the out and what the outcomes were. If we did this, uh, then here's your outcome. If you did that, then that would be the outcome. And and that was probably the biggest the biggest change for me, getting support for me individually as a as a as a manager and an owner. And if we didn't change the course of events, we just kept doing the same things and yeah. it may result to be fortuitous or it might not and it's less likely than like than likely so we set out on that path and you know we sort of toiled the walls down and you know rebuild it and we moved to just basic activity of instead of just working on an hourly rate moving to a fixed fee and not many people have sort of done that more frequent now but then putting the systems in place that that reflected those changes and then you continue to evolve uh, evolve and it, it just it was an organization that i work with and as you achieved one thing you went to the next thing the growth from 
uh, from you know sort of the April 2018 to where we are today, we're probably yielding more for the hours that we do. We're at you know 33 staff, I think now. We're more than double the size. Our yields have improved. Our processes improved. Interesting. But it's also part of recognizing who you are and where your strengths are. And I think I'm so much more wiser for the experience. And part of that experience was in 2020, the question being asked of me, Damien, are you the best person to lead your business? Wow, that's a challenging question to ask. Very challenging, very challenging question. And I took it as offense. I was offended. When you look back, say, okay, well, am I the best person? I was the best salesperson for our business, but I wasn't the best process person or the best operational person for our, for our business. So sort of midway through 2020, we started talking about who is the best, who in the team is the best, and then start to sort of slot in people into those roles and then work towards filling those roles with with process change. And glad that uh, I resigned as CEO in, in December 2020. Trish Catlin, who was working with us for a couple of years, took on the CEO role at the start of 2021. And it's probably been the second momentous change in, yeah, in, our, sure. in, our, in our process. We'll come back to that change in a moment because I just want to go all the way back. You mentioned that you went from losing your most significant client six months later. You had 20-odd clients. No, we had ten, nine staff and then we went to 20 staff. Right. So well, that must have driven a massive increase in clients as well. Yes. What was instrumental or impactful in driving that growth? Was it just a hard slog of you walking the pavements or was there a more intentional strategic approach to what you did? I've always been a guy that's operated really well working from behind. I've never been a great front runner, but if I can see a target in front of me, I know I can get closer to it and just chip away, just chip away and I'll get there. And so I knew I never wanted to be positioned in that place ever again where we're so heavily reliant. And it was actually just doing a lot of this, a lot of the small things, you know, meeting people that I wasn't meeting. The volumes of meeting increased because I have more time now. And if I didn't increase the volume of activity, then I wouldn't be able to meet the volume of people and not be provided some of the opportunities. Mm. So my volume of activity just ramped up dramatically yeah. because I had all this time back because I was no longer on the tools. I was completely off the tools, not deliberately. It wasn't yeah. a planned event, but I also needed to realize that I, I never wanted to be put in that position ever again. So we then you know, started to diversify in terms of size of clients. So if we, you know, we lost that significant clients, we probably picked up 20 clients that made up that value. So we spread the risk, right. but it was all done through good old fashioned networking, meeting people, building relationships, continuing to build relationships over and over and over again. And that's what really has driven that growth, right. but it's really driven the growth of our business building relationships and continuing to do that over and over and over again has really driven growth in our business. And I believe it will still continue to drive growth yeah. in our business. Yeah, that's amazing. And it, it's the testament to the consistent 1% changes can drive significant growth. Can be boring, Rick. You've got to get used to it being boring. And I think that's one of the hardest things that we, that we deal with, that we don't want to be bored. But Unfortunately, the game that we're in is not about getting 15, 20% swings all the time. You just want to get the one, yeah. 2% swings consistent, but it's hard to be consistent. That's a fundamental principle for us in terms of sustainable growth. Uh, we talk a lot about the feast and famine of lead generation. You go out, win work, and suddenly you're prosecuting that work. And you look at your pipeline a month later and there's nothing there. So we try to drive a consistent approach to marketing throughout a business rather than 
focus on a wing work and then a drive down. Yep. I did uh, just to again jump back into that period. It sounds like because you had a number of staff members already in the business, when you won new work, it did need you to step in and do the work there. So it sounds like one of the changes in that period was you didn't step back into being on the tools. You've kept yourself out and on the business. Is that a, a correct assumption? Yes, in part. I still did a little bit of tool work because unfortunately you don't get a client today and then it's all harmonious for four weeks and then you get a new client and, and then next client starts four weeks later. Unfortunately, you'd be aware of this. Clients don't come when you want them to come. They come when they, we don't want them to come. So you've got to still facilitate them. Every time there was an overlap of a brand new client, I would step in and fill the void, allowing me to create the solution, whether that was moving staff around or employing a staff member but i've never lost sight of continuing to grow i've never i've never turned off the growth tab ever just to jump back a little bit again on parts of that story one of the things that we most common hear from business owners is what helps them create success is the embedding of systems and processes into their business and this is something that you mentioned as well. So can you think back again over the years, has there been any specific systems or processes that you've embedded into Square Penny that has been able to drive your sustainable success? And whether they're, whether they're operational in the way your, your team prosecutes the work or it's an HR recruitment process or it's a marketing process, broadly thinking about the business as a whole, what's been the most impactful system or process that you've put in? I was fortunate enough that when I was learning my skill of, of bookkeeping, that I had an organization that was a colleague of mine who had great process and that's what she built her business on. So I was able to license some process right. from that business from day dot. So the process of the process of bookkeeping, process of analysis, I was able to license that from her. So that gave us some great day-to-day process to follow. Yes, we've adjusted it and, and, and molded it to what we do now. I would still think that 60 to 70% of our process is still are abiding by what we what we licensed right at the start. The other piece of process change was about when we got to eight staff, then we started to need some more HR process around what we did. So we really focused on finding a piece of HR software that facilitated our, our HR process. Now, it was a little bit early to go with that software. What it's allowed us to do is it's allowed us to go from 10 to 15 to 20 to 30 so much easier. And you know, going from 30 to 50, which is our next aspiration, we will go there very simply because of what we did back at 10 staff. We went a little bit early, but sometimes you can't get the timing right. In hindsight, we went at the right time, but at the time, you know, it just created a little bit more burden. We didn't quite have the structure of teams that we've got now to for people to help facilitate implementation. That was the biggest change. And because we're a people-based business, we needed to have people-based systems to really support our people. That was the biggest change. It was a product called HR Central. Could you just explain to the listeners what process or that system enable in the business? So you can onboard a staff member very easily from some electronic forms. Electronic forms get fed into the software. The electronic information then feeds into the ATO system and feeds into your financial system. So you're only data entering one time. The other part is employee policies. So policy is always continuing to change. You need to adjust and adapt to circumstances. The policy uh, on the system, it's easy. Instead of sending it, sending a Word document in PDF form to 30 people and then asking those 30 people to sign, you now can put it on the platform. People can read it. It's, ele- it's electronically signed. 
And so then you can monitor who's read, who hasn't read, and then you can follow up accordingly. So your time is then split on following it up through a system and using the system to support your follow-up and it's allowed the scalability. I've got a feeling that the changing from founder, CEO to founder and BDM is going to be the answer to this question. And it might be a, seg a good segue to tell us a bit more about how you've transitioned to Trish, but in creating a sustainable company, a company that has the potential to last decades or even generations, the role of the founder continually changes. Can you think back through over the last 14 years, what have been some of the most significant changes in your role? And were they intentional changes, i.e. planned and considered, like it sounds like Trish was, or were they driven through circumstances and specific events? For the first 10 years up to 2018, they were done through specific events and moments from 2018, a clear plan moving forward around shifting my skill set to an area where the business could take advantage of it, um, removing myself from those areas that wasn't my strong point. I'd see the CEO and, and Trish taking on the operations of our business, and, and I mean the operations. I say this to a lot of people. I'm an employee of my own business continue to be the founder, but the role I play today is the business development role. And I take that as a function and I'm the employee of that function and I report to the CEO on that. And that, that's been well-planned. We've got now got an evolution of that where I've replaced myself once again and I've brought in another BD person to replace the activities of, of BD that I have been doing. And once again, that has been well-planned. Some people might say, well, what are you going to do now, Damien? There's plenty to do. A bit of a sabbatical in Italy for a little while will take care of that. Building that business is not only the two roles that I have been replaced in, it's also the implementation of putting a board structure in place to help fill a strategic void around an advisory board as well, which we put in place in November. You know, now looking at other opportunities, other different service offerings that could complement the business over time. So I don't see myself as extricating myself as a business. I, I just see it as giving other people opportunity, which allows me to then, to then go find other opportunities to, compl to complement our business. And for me, it's, it's about building a success of a business over longevity not just to cash out tomorrow yeah. and you're done building a business to work over generation. That's still evolution to play out and what that looks like. We're in a really strong position with the caliber of staff that we have. One of the points you mentioned in there was pre-2018, nothing was strategically planned versus having a strategic plan and following that. What was the journey from Square Penny in an unplanned environment, probably pretty reactive to fives as they came up versus the last few years where you've been far more considered and intentional with your behaviours and actions? The two different periods of time aren't too dissimilar. Obviously, the period from 2018 onwards, we were guided a lot more around decisions being better considered, well thought out. You're taking a risk, but you've weighed up the benefits of that risk or looked at the downsides of risk. The first part, you tend to not look at any risks. It's all upside. It's all yeah. it's all fruitful upside. The journey of those first ten years was still there's still an element of planning. It was because it was always about growing and continuing to grow. Continuing to grow to two hundred staff was was just a number in my head that I had always thought about and still had aspirations of that. It was always about growth, growth and employment. They're always linked together. It wasn't as planned. You know, there was no the management team was two of us back then management team now is six right. so you still had people to bounce ideas off in the business but when you've got a collective the decision making slightly different to two people where one can sometimes influence they 
look the same, smelt the same. Now you're a little bit more looking at the balance of probabilities, whereas before we took the risk, took the upside all the time and didn't worry about the downside. Now you probably consider both sides and still make the same decisions, but you're probably a more well thought out decision as opposed to before. I think it sounds like you're more intentional and you're taking a long-term view where, yes, you might've had aspirations for it to be a a 200 person company, but you're really making decisions on the day-to-day and the little bit of information in front of you where now you're considering what's the long-term second and third ramifications of the decisions you're making. Yeah, absolutely. And you're now thinking about two years out, three years out, and a lot of things can still change in that time frame. Sure. You know, you're thinking that far out. When you're way up the time in a year, in our business, you generally lose December, January. Then you lose, most businesses lose public holiday weeks. You're almost only working a 40-week year. You've got to be thinking about, okay, what are we going to do at the start of 2024? What's that looking like? Whereas before, we would just be looking for the next month, the next two months. Your forward planning certainly changes uh, as well. So that, that's the exciting part. And that's the evolution. Start thinking further out. Your plans start orientated further out all the time. You could also just double click back into the decision making. So pre-Trish, I imagine you were making definitely the strategic and bigger picture decisions about the business. But I imagine you were making lots of day-to-day decisions and team members would constantly come to you to help make decisions. How did the transition, I assume now you're trying to empower, not have empowered Trish to make all the decisions. How did that work both between you and Trish, and then how did it go in terms of transitioning your team to stop coming to you for all these decisions and go to Trish to make them? What we did do, because we sort of shifted the evolution to groups of small senior and small and smaller teams in our business since 2018, when we made that transition of of me resigning as CEO, the transition wasn't as massive because people were already going to their senior managers for results. The biggest change was that business now is led by by Trish and the management team. The biggest thing for me is that I had to fall in line with a set of rules. Now, before... Going back um, to the Damien that didn't want rules. Yeah, that's right. I made the rules. But now, uh, the biggest thing was I had to fall in line with a set of rules. I had to fall in line with with, um, what was protocol, what our policies were. And if I didn't, then what was the point of making this decision if I wasn't prepared to fall in line? Don't get me wrong. It wasn't easy. And it was a probably a three to four month transition. I thought it was it was just going to be a nice little anniversary for three or four months, and it'd, it'd be great. It was a it was a cut off. It was a hard cut off. And and I you know when you know but you don't you know but you don't acknowledge. Yeah. I knew, but I didn't acknowledge yeah. that this was going to happen. So I had to adjust to it. One thing I've always done, I have really always given people the rein to allow people to make decisions, to allow people to make a mistake and not persecute them because that's how I learned. I think it's a valuable way of learning. I've employed that opportunity for others or for others around me. Yeah. The transition wasn't massive for me because I've always empowered staff to do that. And we've got our systems and our processes where people are independent because you have to be in a remote environment. You can't just have a central point, which works a lot more in, a, in an office environment. It was my issues of what I had to let go of and what I thought was important but wasn't really really important and it gets easier like it just just gets easier as as someone makes decisions and you see they're embraced by the business you just you just step away and and people weren't coming to me for much at that stage anyway so it made the, made the transition even more so but I'll tell you what Rick it's uh, it's liberating I'm um, sure. I'm 
I'm not too sure if Trish, if Trish would say it's liberating. They're all learning experiences, and I'm certainly there to help in any in any way to mm. to support that. Because like anything, if you don't if you're not supporting people, how are you going to get the best out of the person? You can't just dump and dump and run. I feel like the transitions worked well, and when you look back, yes, I think it's been a, it's been a, a pretty good transition, which has then led the next transition of of replacing myself in BD even so much easier yeah. because now that's about nurturing and and training and support because it's business development is something it's not really something you can get wrong you can get way off track it's not as it's a little bit different to running a business and dealing with staff related matters and dealing with operational related matters dealing, dealing with financial related matters you've got you got everything everything going on at the same time whereas in business development you've only got one one area which is primarily relationships so that this transition is is even easier than than that transition i'm just interested to 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 understand a little bit more about you changing the bdm responsibilities because that really moves you fundamentally to an employee completely if you've let go of that responsibility as a founder as well how's that transition going and where are you up to in that journey of, of really being able to step out of business development as well so we're only six weeks into that journey, so it's still early. One of the key things that we identified is being a subject matter expert in what you're talking about is so critical. BD element, like like anything, you have the right skill. Uh, another BD person will uncover opportunities that you will never cover. And they'll uncover those opportunities in a different way to you. We don't need another Damien in this world. One's, one's enough. I do my thing well, but someone else will do their thing well too, which will also complement square penny as well so it's embracing that as well and supporting that using some of the fundamentals that i've learned that work well and that person picks up what they need to pick up out of that skills and complements what what they need to do we're now on this journey for the next 10 months of of support and mentorship and that's great and was this person also in an internal role change or did you find and recruit somebody new for this role uh, we went we looked externally to have a to have a balanced view Dan has been with us for uh, for a couple of years. When we we're having a chat about it in terms of where the role was going to go, I said to Dana, "Why don't you come out and have a look at a day in the life of business development and what it looks like doing that from an internal process and still having a look at what externally was available." Two philosophies in the world: there's there's make or there's buy. Recruiting externally was the was the buy, or you could bring someone that doesn't have the experience and development over time. Or or the third strategy was internally and and provide that opportunity. And once we sort of looked at those three elements and tested what worked, it was obvious that being subject matter expert was the key. Learning that is a lifetime. So having that, I felt was the most important skill out of all. And then BD and relationships we could teach because most people in general are good human, good humans. And so that's where we that we felt that in, internally and we felt Dina was going to be the best candidate for us over the longevity. Mm -hmm of what we were trying to do. Just one final question on this topic, and then we'll dive into a last question. So obviously you've been running BD, well, for the 14 years of the business. Have you processed out how business development works or is it the Damien flair that drives it? And, and how are you teaching Adina to manage sales or are you letting her find her own path to it? One of the good things of working with a strategy coach is you uh, you identify a process and and you follow a process. So we've got processes in place in order to make business development a more valued and more targeted. And that is by having recorded data 
and key data elements for now been recording data for three years. So yeah, we know so you've built it as a more sustainable part of your business. Yeah, absolutely. And what the data allows you to also say to yourself and, and BD is a tough game because sometimes you can you can be pushing pounding pavement for no result and then all of a sudden the walls just cave in and then it's a and it's a flood. Also, you know, recording data when you're not feeling so great in BD or when it's or when it's a, a lull and nothing going on, you can use your data to say, yeah, yeah, I am doing a great job. I am doing what I need to do. I'm putting all the effort in where I should because we know through history, you know, human behavior and the way we work, as long as you do the right thing 100% of the time, we'll translate to business. So having that information, that process, then it's not a needle in a haystack approach with Dina. It's, this, this is a process that works. Yes, you will need your little bit of flair and how you introduce yourself, but this is what we need to do. We need X amount of meetings, X amount of connections. Connections will lead to opportunities. Lead opportunities will lead to proposals. Proposals will then get converted. We've got that information to know whether we're doing enough or we're not doing enough. So that's provided a platform for, for the future. And what we will now then document is the admin component associated with doing that activity and putting you know, putting some of the words around around that process. Right. And the metrics or those points in that process that you just mentioned, are they the, the numbers that you were talking about, the data that you've been capturing for three years to measure the cadence of where, you, where you're up to in the process and assuming you do A, you'll get B, or if you get B, you'll hit C and then eventually you'll hit the targets you want. Absolutely yeah. correct. And so it's five or six key measures. Yeah. And it was interesting last couple of weeks, I said to myself, and I said to my, say to myself quite regularly, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough work? And the only way I could assess that is I go back and look at my numbers. And I said to myself, for the sake of this exercise, Rick, 111 leads in, in financial year last year. That's not closed business, but leads, 111 leads. We've done 40 so far. There'll be another eight months to go. Triple that, we'll be at 120. We're bang on target. I feel good about myself that I'm on target. Yes, it might be a little bit lean this week, last week, but the data then provides me the confidence that we are doing that. If those leads were down at five and 10 annualized, we'd be at half of them, then I'd be much more concerned. And that's the beauty of recording what you do to then be able to measure it. But you need data over a period of time to then measure your activity. And that's what we should be doing as, as all business owners, having yeah. some key metrics to measure our activity, to see how we're going, whether we're doing the, we're doing the, the right things or we should be doing more of or less of. Yeah, we, have um, a, we have a weekly scorecard that it's the same sort of thing across the whole business of so eight metrics that are the key metrics that we measure our business on. And as a business owner, you'd be surprised yourself when you go look back at this data and go, oh, look, we've done this and this. We haven't done enough here. And that, and become, and that becomes, can become your focus for the next three, six, 12 months Correct. because you know, that information then provides you that useful targeting. A lot of people say they're busy or tell me where you're busy. And a lot of people can't explain that because they haven't recorded data. Busy versus effective. Oh, yes, correct. Yeah. So just one final question. So taking, again, thinking long-term perspective, and I now know that you definitely have a longer-term perspective of Square Penny, what's the next key strategic initiative that you're planning to implement to continue your success, and what do you hope that that initiative will achieve? I think there's two evolutions of this. There's the ongoing BD, but then there's probably uh, an acquisition in line there that that's something that we've we haven't done within square penny as in buying another another bookkeeping business and that's something that's heavily on the cards to do that uh, in my previous life i've had some experience with that but that would probably be the next challenge it would certainly create a whole set of unique issues that we've never never experienced before 
and uh, and that's something that we've we've started exploring it, but we'll really start to focus on that probably over the next 12 to 16 months in line with what our strategy is to continue the growth piece because you've got to evolve. Yes, BD works, but it's also it's also a little bit slower. So if you want to ramp up growth a little bit more, it is it is really exploring that acquisition acquisition element that's on the cards for the next 12 to 16 months. Well, thank you very much, Damien. I really appreciate your insight and there's heaps of nuggets that the listeners can take away and we'll assess them and pull out some ideas from that. So thank you for joining us and we didn't really get to explore your sabbatical in Italy, but I, I'm sure that's going to be an amazing time. So I wish you all the best. And I'm sure Trish will have the business running even more effectively by the time you come back. Thanks, Rick. It's been a pleasure and look forward to chatting to you uh, next time.